Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark and to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It is page 710 in our church Bibles. In just a second or two, we're going to begin reading from the first, uh, we're going to read the first 20 verses of Mark's Gospel. And just keep in mind that we've been working through Mark's Gospel verse by verse. So here we are this morning in this text. I do want to say, um, last Sunday morning we and evening, we set aside the day for the persecuted church. It was a really good day, and the night was exceptionally well. The, the time that we set aside to pray was a, a powerful night. It was a good night. Um, the giving was exceptional, too, as we took an offering for um, a portion of the persecuted church. I also want to tell you that... Um, in our prayer service, a lot of times kids come and they are so welcome. And yeah, you know, sometimes they have their, you know, Ricky Rocket nights where they're just busy. That's cool. But last Sunday night, some of our kids were so awesome in their prayers. And I had the privilege of being able to listen to them pray for the persecuted church. And I'm like, oh, God, thank you. Thank you that they come. Thank you that they pray. And I'm, in all honesty, I can't wait to get to heaven and that part of my question and answer session with God Almighty was like, what did that do for the kingdom when that young man prayed and that young lady prayed? And I want to, I can't wait to get the answer. So those nights are important. I know, I know it's Sunday night and I get all that, but um, piece by piece, kids are maturing and growing in grace. And um, that's good of God to do that. Okay. Verse 1, they went, and this is the disciples and Jesus, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tomb to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus had not led him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Amen. 
May God bless the reading of his word and, and give us understanding of it. If you would, please, let's pray. Well, Father, we, we stand now in great need. So we want your help, God, in every way. We want it, God, as your word is taught and as it's, and it's listened to and, and determined. And we want your son to be revealed. And God, we are absolutely convinced that if you don't come in power on this occasion, right now, then our position will be absolutely hopeless. So please, Father, then, for Jesus' sake, hear our prayer. Amen. Now, in one sense, this is a difficult story. You, you could be tempted to preach from it from lots of different angles. However, when the early church saw a text like this, what, what set their paces to approach it and understand it, and if you would frame their, their um, life and ministry in it, was that it was going to be centered on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it was a cruciformed or cross-shaped theology. So it was all centered on Christ and, and God's radical love for ha- fallen humanity, which would work itself out in these accounts of Jesus, which reveal his power, reveal his authority. So he has authority, authority over the natural world. He has authority over the supernatural world. So speaking to storms and the storms end by healing the sick, the possessed, the dying, and even in a couple of weeks we'll learn literally raising the dead. And you see that line of thought the, that the early church held to, uh, framed its thinking, moved its ministry, and they understood that one of the goals of the Holy Spirit was in showing us our sin is to always drive us to Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of his grace. So they would look at this story and they would say, okay, yep, God crosses over, okay, from heaven to earth. God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ enters a hostile world. To be sure, uh, he made the world, but we find that God is not really welcomed in the world. He sustains cruel acts of hatred, of disgust. There's violent opposition. Unbelief is the norm towards his goodness, towards his kindness. And even from religious people, they don't believe in Jesus. And yet, and yet God, if you would, keeps coming back after his people and his radical love towards his enemies and, and nothing that is natural, storms, sickness, disease, or death, nothing that is supernatural, the dark powers of evil, nothing can stop Jesus. Now, what would make it really, really hard for our hearts to leap at that or our minds to be stirred and our our lives framed by that is if you and I might be tempted to measure God's radical love or we either get or got a whole lot of instruction which primarily spoke of God's radical love mostly in terms of our economic condition or our living conditions or our emotional, relational, physical conditions and even how good we are behaving or how well things are going. And of course, Jesus speaks to his care and concern about all those things. However, when Jesus said, if your Bible's open, you'll see this, chapter 4, verse 35, when he said, let's go into the boat and get over to the other side and leave the crowds behind, he had done this kind of thing before. He crossed from heaven to earth to get to the other side to rescue his people. And he knew fully what was to come. So he knew along the way, at the end of chapter 4 there, there was a storm which would come. 
there was unbelief to be exposed, and there was a lesson he would need to give. He knew on the other side of the lake there was a man, and this man was filled with an unclean spirit who lived in an unclean region. That's the, verse 1, the region of the Gerasenes, uh, southwest of Jerusalem, a Gentile region. That's why there's so many pigs there, right? That's not good territory for good Jews. And Jesus knew this unclean man in an unclean land needed God's grace. He needed to be rescued. He needed God's radical love, which would turn him, Acts 26, right, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And Jesus knew, and please get this, Jesus knew that he was the only one He was the only one who could give this demon-filled man what before God he needed. And Jesus was going to get to him. Psalmist helps us a little bit. Psalm 139 and 8. Though I make my bed in Sheol, right? The grave, the dwelling of the dead, which is where this man, verse 3, liked to hang out. Though I make my bed in the dwelling of the dead, you, God, are there. And there he is. And you see, that was the theology which, which framed the early church, which drove the early church. It set its paces. That this theology of God's radical love given through His Son for fallen humanity, a humanity which cannot rescue themselves, and a humanity which opposes God and then dead in sin. So you see, you see Jesus uh, crosses from heaven to earth to cross a lake to get to the other side, hostile territory to the Jews. Gentiles are there, pigs are there, and there was also positioned one of the major uh, military outposts of the Roman Empire. All of that stuff would be extremely aggravating to a Jewish person, right? Conquered by a pagan pork-eating people, hostile territory, and yet Jesus goes there to rescue one man. Even though the whole town after such kindness, would ask Jesus to leave. Now, if you're with me and you're thinking through that, that is incredible, is it not? Because in that we see the blindness of humanity and the goodness of Jesus who will do anything to get to one soul and rescue them. When I was a kid way, way back when, we used to sing this song, the 99 and 1, right? And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert, right, or I'll get across the lake to find my sheep. So when you're listening to that story and you're reading that story at first glance, it's like, whoa, what do we do with all that, right? And the demon thing and the whole pig thing. Now, please don't let Peter find out about what Jesus did, please. And can't we just skip it, right? No, we can't skip it because what I want to tell you is this is the gospel, This is the gospel, and there is common ground, more than you might think, between this guy and the story, and you and I and all humanity. Because, you see, we need to understand that while not all men and women are possessed uh, by demons, the Bible does tell us that all men and women by nature are hostile to God, and they are ruled by dark and sinister forces opposed to God, and because of that, only God can save them. And good news God's specialty is saving his enemies and making them his friends. John, 1 John 3, 8. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
So degrees may differ here. We understand that. The human need is absolutely the same. Absolutely the same. Three points. Man in need, a town in chaos, a gospel in tow. If you have a worship folder, you can turn around and you'll see it there. Number one, a man in need. Now, his need is graphically described here, right? And the most obvious thing about this man is that he is in bondage. Verse 2, he was a slave to the kingdom of evil. The whole of his life dominated by evil. On account of this, he lived among the dead and the tombs. Verse 3, and also verse 3, Mark tells us that no one could bind him anymore. So apparently things were not getting better here. They were getting worse. And it wasn't from a lack of effort from the people of this region. But it was just that verse 4b. You see that there? No one was strong enough to subdue him. So the man, the man bound by evil one was unable to be bound by chains and was even able to, verse 4, break iron. Wow. Unable to be restrained unable to be tamed and being driven to live in the grave. Now, we're going to do this a few times to this sermon. You may be thinking about the gospel right now and how the human condition is so fallen that man by nature is a slave to sin and under the dominion of the evil one and no human power, right? No human power could help humanity out of this predicament, even though people have tried. And you might be thinking about that hymn that we sing, which I love to sing. It says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me where? To the grave. And there he is, this man, dead in his sin, under dark powers, at home, verse 3, in the grave. So somewhere in the course of his life, he had given into or had been overcome by this mass of demonic activity. And no one could bind him, no one strong enough to subdue him, and no one could help him. And, verse 5, he self-mutilates. You see it there? He cries out and he cuts himself with stones. And that has a kind of contemporary ring to it, does it not? This is, this is our age. These types of things... This self-mutilation, this cutting happens now. So he hates himself, so much so that he cuts himself, but he's unwilling to be chained, but he's willing to cause himself pain, and Luke's gospel tells us that this man for a long, long time would go around naked. So let's just take a few steps back from the picture. Let's think think this out a bit. Uh, First, the kingdom of evil is very unruly, very chaotic, and it's very self-willed. Uh, the, the source that I use, another word for self-willed is pig-headed, <laughs> believe it or not. So you see a man who has no freedom, no friends, and no mere human, no groups of human, a community can help him who the powers of hell have completely overcome and completely dehumanized. This is what Mark is telling us. This guy's hopeless. He is completely hopeless, right? Uh, No human can do anything for him. Uh, Every human virtue, uh, communal virtue, every human communal agency, every human intent, human power cannot help him. And remember in chapter 1, verse 32, Mark makes the distinction between uh, human sickness and demon possession. Regardless, the guy's ruined. He's subhuman, he's hopeless. He would or could, to quote John Stock, be defined in one word, and the word is alienated. Alienated. And that's what the Bible tells us was one of the effects of the fall on the human race. Uh, Alienated from God. Alienated from others. 
alienated from himself. Now, to be sure, he was an extreme example, but it might be given to press the point, and here it is. No one is too far gone in their alienation from God, right? No one is too far gone from God. Now, loved ones, let's think about that for a second because you might have people, you might have friends, you might have family members, and you're like, it's over, it is done, they are lost, it's just, they're the hopeless case. Jesus comes to us this morning and says, listen, let me have the last word. Let me have the last word. So yeah, you can be alienated from God in a crack house, right, or a brothel, but the Bible says you can also be alienated from God in a really nice house, with a really nice family, in a really nice community. It doesn't matter. This is the human condition. Men and women were born into alienation, and their only hope is in Christ alone. So what I'm saying here is that this man in chapter 5 is a tragic and a dramatic example of the human condition apart from Jesus Christ. You get that? This is a tragic and dramatic example of the human condition apart from Jesus Christ. Now, modern man and men, women might think, well, that is just ridiculous, <laughs> right? And the religious people might be saying, come, come on now, I'm not that bad, right? This devil stuff, that's just silly. And even sometimes popular Christianity, cultural Christianity, well, you know, it might be true of people on the East Coast or the West Coast, Right? But here in Central America, if you would, we work on our we work our way past that. We're going to get it right. We're going to do it. But if you read your Bible, just watch your kids. What do we find? Sin comes natural to us all. We learned this a couple of weeks in our Awana class when we were learning about original sin. And one of the things we were we learned was that hey, our moms and dads didn't have to teach us how to lie. They didn't have to teach us how to steal. They didn't have to teach us how to be greedy, right? They didn't have any special classes. Okay, kids, we're going to learn how to hit your sister and make her angry. Because I know by nature you don't know how to do that. Of course we do. Of course we do. So what happens is, is the condition which is described and pictured in the gospel is explained then later on in the epistles. Let me give you two quick examples. Ephesians 2.1, Paul's writing to believers. He reminds them, chapter 1, verse 13, that they were all included in Christ. And then in chapter 2, he, try, he describes the human condition of what they were before Jesus Christ came and rescued them by his grace. And this is what he says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And remember, there's no degree of deadness. You can't just be kind of dead. Right? Dead is dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In other words, the evil one. Now again, this story in Mark's gospel is a dramatic illustration of the human condition that is explained by Paul in chapter 2. The point is clear. When we come into this world, we are walking dead. We are the walking dead controlled by dark powers, every one. Another example, Colossians 1.21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay, let's put that together. Everyone is not demon-possessed. I get that. However, by nature, all men and women are ruled by the dark powers of hell, disobedient, enemies of God, alienated in their minds, unable to fix their situation, 
And listen carefully. All the love of humanity cannot rescue them. All the strength and the wisdom of humanity, all the energy of every human being committed to do better, committed to help them, cannot help them. That's how dark sin is. It's in every part of us. Sin has invaded our emotions. That's why it's so hard to get along. That's why it's so hard to hold on to happiness in our mind. Sin has invaded our resolve. That's why it's easy to do bad things and to say bad things and to think bad things. Sin has invaded our minds. That's why we think wrong about God and we think wrong about the world. And you see, if you miss all that, if you're not tracking with me here, then this story won't mount, amount to much more than, whew, glad Jesus is stronger than 6,000 demons, right? Or you get a little vignette of how nice Jesus is to that poor, poor, dreadful, naked man. You should be nice too. Or you get this kind of like diatribe of demonic stuff. Forgetting that we are not left untouched by the ravages of sin. Especially in the realm of the mind. Don't think that the fall was just kind of like a small stumble into a short pit. Think of it as a full fall into a bottomless pit. Who says that? Well, the Bible says that. This is what the Bible says about our mind. Romans 1.28, the mind is debased. 2 Corinthians 3.14, hardened. 2 Corinthians 4.4, blind. A bunch of other texts, futile, darkened, hostile, deluded, deceived, depraved, corrupted. Titus 1.15, defiled. G.I. Packer, I am the slave of sin whom Christ must liberate. I'm a fallen human being who only has it in me to choose against God until God renews my heart. If you like, until Jesus crosses a lake. So there's no safe place apart from Jesus. Because by nature, what are we? Alienated from God, alienated from other people, alienated in ourselves. Number one, then, a man in need. But it's actually what? It's a whole world in need. It's a dramatic picture, I get that, but it's meant to give a point. The whole world needs Jesus. Number two, a town in chaos. Now, the town was in chaos, chaos, but not for the reasons why you might think, right? Verse 8, Jesus comes along and does his good deed. Come out of this man, you evil spirit, and of course, it does. Verse 15, when they... The townspeople and others came to Jesus. They saw this man, right, who had been demon-possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, uh, clean, neat, and smart. I, I picture a guy sitting on a tree stump, you know, dressed to the nines, his hair like greased perfectly, a perfect part, and just sitting there like a choir boy with Jesus. And you would think with all that goodness, the town would go, yay, Jesus, Come on over to our house, Jesus, would you? You save the man. You save the town. Uh, we can talk about the Bay of Pig stuff later on, but for now, let's have a Coke. Let's have a smile. Ding, dong, the witch is dead. Thank you, Jesus. That's what you would expect. But you don't see that. Now listen carefully. If the biblical doctrine of while not all men and women are demon-possessed, all are under the dark powers of evil until Jesus saves them. If that's correct, if the doctrine of the fall is correct, this may be the fundamental part of the answer to why the people in the town want Jesus gone. 
That's why they want him God. Their thinking is fallen. Their eyes are darkened. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the human condition. Yeah, the whole pig thing could bug them a bit, but wanting this Jesus to leave town after such goodness... But you see, we shouldn't be surprised. You've been tracking with us through Mark, Mark's gospel. Jesus' family thinks he's loony. The religious people think Jesus should be dead. His disciples are having trouble believing in him. And when Jesus preaches, this is the parable of the sower, right? Three out of the four of his listeners will either immediately or eventually lose their way, fall away, and, or bear no fruit, showing that they never took root. Still, with all that, Jesus keeps coming with his goodness, keeps coming with his power, and, and by golly, people reject him. And they want no fellowship with him. Okay? Unless Jesus does something for them, they're going to wrongly think about him. And for now, they do. Okay. Now, the town is in chaos, but would you notice the kingdom of evil is as well? This is, this is its nature, right? Verse 6, this man sees Jesus from a distance. He runs to him, but verse 7, he really doesn't want a thing to do with Jesus at all, right? He's drawn by Jesus. He's repulsed by Jesus. He runs to him. He arrives there, falls on his knees, and begins to shout at him. Verse 7, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Which was a very Gentile way of speaking about God. And I want you to notice that the demons then have the answer to the question the disciples asked at the very end of chapter 4 when they were in the boat. Remember, Jesus did his wonderful deed over calming the the storm. And they say, who is this? Even the, the wind and the waves obey him? Who has the right answer? The demons do. Chapter 4, verse 41, who is this? Chapter 5, verse 7, this is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Disciples ask a question, demons give the answer. Amazing. And I also want you to notice the the chaoticness in the sense it's hard to keep track of who's doing the speaking. Isn't that right? Guy falls to his knees, never asks for deliverance. You hear the man's voice, you hear the demon's voice. Which one? Well, what is clear? Verse 9, when Jesus asks that question, what is your name? The reply is legion, for we are many. And so what this does is it tells us how much this man had surrendered to demonic powers, the powers which were destroying him. Legion in Roman military terminology was a troop of around 6,000 soldiers. So think of this, 6,000 demons in this man. What does, what does 6,000 demons do in a person? Well, we find that they want to destroy This man, this human being made in the image of God. Which means this, and please listen carefully. There is a direct correlation between the destructive behavior, the mistreatment, the neglect, the the self-mutilation of the physical body made in the image of God and bending towards uh, the insistent voice of evil. Now, I'm going to say that again. 
There's a direct correlation between the destructive behavior, the mistreatment, the neglect, the the self-mutilation, the self-humiliation of the physical body made in the image of God and a bending towards the insistent voice of evil. What did Jesus say the evil one came to do, right? uh, Kill and steal and destroy. Evil opposes the beauty of humanity and works for its destruction. When I wrote that line out, my mind went to elementary school, music class. We used to sing a song by Ray Stevens, and, and it had the line, Everybody, everybody's beautiful in their own way. True. We're not doing this kind of beauty. I mean, that's just like, comes and goes. Everybody's beautiful in their own way because they are made in the image of God and the work of the devil is to destroy that image. And this cry from the demons in verses 10 and 7 is a cry which reveals they have full knowledge of their fate. In fact, Luke's gospel says that what they said to Jesus was, Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. Meaning they recognize the promise in the Bible of the end of all evil. Right? When God will cast it all down. When everyone who opposes Christ in the natural realm and the supernatural realm will be judged, they will be sentenced, and they will be put away. And so the demonic world confronted by Jesus clearly understands that on that day of judgment, their freedom, little f, is gone and their doom is sure. And these demons know that. So what they're saying here is face to face with Jesus is Jesus, please don't make that final judgment on us now. Do something else with us, Jesus, hence the pigs. The pigs. And if you've ever eaten bacon and eggs for breakfast, you're not allowed to be mad at Jesus. Right? It's kind of weird. I don't fully understand it, but this is what I know. I know at least this. Number one, the power of Jesus. In verse 13, he gave permission to them to go into the pigs. So demons are not equal to God. The devil is not equal to God. Demons are not allowed to do whatever they want to do and go whatever they want to go. They need permission from God. Well, that's a mystery, but it's a biblical truth. Demons are not equal to God, and apparently pigs are not equal to people, right? Jesus had once told his followers they are worth more than the well-cared-for sparrow, and he's showing this man, and his eternal well-being is worth far more than 2,000 pigs. You know this quote, right? A conversion of one sinner from the era of his ways is an event of more importance than the eradication of temporal evil from an entire city. Do you believe that? I believe that. The conversion of one sinner from the era of his ways is an event of more importance than the death of 2,000 pigs. I understand the economic difficulties. I understand that. But you see, loved ones, the fruit of the gospel is good, but it's not the gospel. There's a distinction. We better start with the gospel because it's really possible to have a a level of gospel good, at least outwardly, with no gospel saving, right? It's really possible to be good, but you don't really love Christ, which is like a thin blanket trying to cover up your gospel need. So we need to be careful. Man in need, the town in chaos, finally a gospel in tow. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see 
what it was that had happened. And what did they see? Well, you know, a nice man, well healed, dressed to the nines, if you would, instead of a crazy naked man. And they were afraid. And again, this is like, wow, what is going on? But we can't be too hard on them. Why? Well, we know about the fallenness, but also the disciples. Chapter 4, verse 40, did the same thing. After Jesus did that mighty act on the lake there, Jesus had to ask the guys, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And you see, this tells me that the transforming power of Christ is so staggering... It's so staggering that only the eyes of faith can see it, can understand it, and can bow down to it. Think of it this way. People say to God, oh God, please get my kids off drugs. Oh God, if you would free my husband from a sexual addiction, get them off the bottle, get them off the babes, right? If you could just fix them, then I could have them back, cleaned up, delivered, whole, and man, our quality of life will just skyrocket. And then God does that, and oftentimes... In God's very deliverance, the individual who made the request is confronted with their own enslavement. Because when God changes a person, he doesn't do makeovers. He makes new creations. So that they were more afraid of dad, mom, the kids delivered than they were when they were enslaved. That's what happened here. This tells me that this is why we can explain the shock and response of the town who says to Jesus, get out of town. They should have made a mayor, right? They should have made a mayor. They should have had a Jesus campaign, six-week campaign. This is how I thought of it. Big poster. You could have a picture of 6,000 demons. You could have a muscled-up Jesus, right, fighting the demons. Ho, ho, ho. You could have made some money with that one. Come see the man who killed 6,000 demons. You know, feel his muscles. Come on, kids, line up. One dollar a ticket. Hmm. They didn't even do that. We can make up for the pig loss. <laughs> I just thought of that, sorry. <laughs> Not very good, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you business types will tell me. Nice, that's very good thinking, Pastor Joe, very good. So the town wants Jesus to leave, and Jesus does. The transform wants to stay with Jesus, verse 18, but he can't. Jesus will not let him, why? Well, apparently there's a work for Jesus but none that none but this man can do. And although Jesus can't remain there in person, he can remain there in message. Verse 19, go tell everybody how much I have done for you and how I've had mercy, if you would, grace on you. So he goes around to tell everyone, Jesus sets the captives free. He's going to tell his family. He's going to tell his friends. You guys know how crazy I was. You know that I was cutting, naked, crazy guy. You know that no chain could hold me. You know that no one could help me. You know this. Now look at me. Jesus Christ did that for me. He did it for me. And if you know your Bible, Isaiah 66, 1, it was prophesied like 600 years before it actually happened. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to, for the captives, and release from darkness those in prison. That's his specialty. So this is great news for those of us who have tried everything and everyone to get our life under control, or for those of us who have tried everyone and everything to get our, our friends, our family under control. This is great news for those of us who deal with bondage, enslavement, pick your poison, self-mutilator, self-humiliation, drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction, online, or the real thing. But, now hear me, this is also great news for the nice moral guy. But he's still lost in his moralness because he doesn't love Jesus. Hey, everybody, 
Jesus has power to save you. Jesus has power to forgive you and keep forgiving you. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. This is a little bit of a paraphrase. You come to me, all you who are just beat down. All you are just turned in upon yourself. You're uncontrollable in your self-destructive behavior. You come from me, high street people, low street people. I don't care. You come to me and I will give you rest. Because you know and I know that other stuff can't give you rest. It will destroy you. You want to say, do you believe in the power of the name of Jesus Christ? Do I believe in the power of the name of Jesus Christ? Verse 20, the man went away, gospel in tow, and he began to tell in the Decapolis, right, that Gentile region of 10 cities, how much Jesus has done for him. And all the people were amazed, right? Jesus is that good. Yes, he's that powerful. Jesus is the one who goes into really, really difficult places and he talks to really, really difficult people. He goes into dark places and talks to difficult people. I'm one of them. He helped me. He can help you. Let's pull back from the story. Try to get it in our minds. Jesus crosses a lake to get to a lost, fallen, demon-filled man. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The man, for a time, the town and the demons, they do not want to have anything to do with Jesus. That is the fallenness of man. That is the fallenness of a third of the angelic host. One word, if you would, would, Jesus speaks over the man, and that's it. He's fine. That is gospel power. The man is healed. The man is helped, he's converted, and Jesus turns him into evangelist. That is a conversion. Because the first 20 verses and the rest of them, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And let me tell you what I like about this. Jesus is the hero of the story. Right? Jesus is the hero of the story. The whole town. Because that's what we think. We could just get together. We could just get together. We could just get together. No, we cry out to Jesus. We cry out to Jesus. So someone says, well, look, I'm not a self-mutilator. I don't like to cut. In fact, I actually take very good care of my body. But Jesus says, no matter. If you do not have me, then you don't have life. The word of God here does two things to give holy medicine to those in bondage to their badness, that's the man. And it shines a light on those trying to hide in their goodness, that's the crowds. When I was lost, you came and rescued me, reached down into the pit and lifted me. Oh Lord, such love. I was, at, I was far from you as I could be. You know all the things I've ever done. But Jesus' blood has canceled every one. Oh, Lord, such grace to qualify me as your own. Hmm. Jesus goes right into the thick of it, crosses a lake, hostile territory. doesn't matter. I'm going to get to one man. I'm going to get to one man. And oh, by the way, that one man is going to get to 10 cities. He's got a story to tell. Jesus got to me. Hope he's got to you. 
goodness, grace, rescued us from Satan's power and made us his own. That's the gospel. And then he whispers in my ear every morning. And some mornings he might even say this, would you just do a better job of telling the story? Would you just do a better job, Joe, of telling the story? Okay, thanks for your attention. Let's pray as we dismiss. Father, thank you that everything in us calls for your rejection, yet everything in your Son pleads our acceptance. If we know Christ today, then we have it fully. Please do not let anyone leave here this morning without Christ and without a mind that is framed by the beautiful doctrine of justification that we are clean right now before our Father in heaven and us not one blemish does he see. Sure, the evil one would love to fight that fact in us, or that fact in us and with all his strength and his subtly reduce us to subhuman. But we thank you that in Christ we have all that we need. In Christ is all that you require. That's so good. Now, to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.